you know, I look back at Miami and think about the brotherhood. I think about the business background and and then the love of my life uh, comes from there as well. So, you know, I grabbed a diploma and a fiance and I got out of Oxford. What a perfect description of one's time at Miami. Johnny nailed it. My podcast with Johnny Serpillo was longer than most. And quite honestly, we could have kept talking for quite a few hours. His stories from the days in the accountancy program at Miami and becoming a Miami merger to working for running and ultimately selling an IPO in a business are fascinating, touching, and meaningful. As he says in the conversation, life will be hard, but it'll be okay. It's not only a lesson for students, but for himself and many others. In the pod, you'll hear all of these challenges and yet his positive outlook on life. His current business and courage is centered around making a difference in the areas of healthy living, leadership, and adoption. You won't want to miss this. Enjoy. It's exciting to think back at the early days, room 217 in uh, Stanton Hall, <laughs> 2 South, um, looking out over the lawn um, from my room. Oftentimes, I'd see so many kids out there playing all and having a great time and throwing the football. And I'd be like, how, how do they have time to get all this stuff done? Um, because I was taking school really seriously. My dad picked my major. Um, he said, Johnny, you're going to be an accounting major. And I said, yes, sir. And, you know, a dutiful Italian kid saying, you know, I want to honor my dad. And uh, my parents didn't go to college. So for me, it was quite an honor. And, and I got to Oxford and cried the first six weeks, huh. literally every night in bed right? um, because I was so homesick um, and was blessed with just a, a great childhood. I don't have one of those hard comeback stories um, from a tough youth. I had, I was really blessed with parents that loved me, that loved our community, taught me, you know, our faith taught me, um, responsibility in our community. So I really had coming in there at 17 years old tools ready to succeed. And it was really for me to screw up. Mm. Interestingly enough, after college, um, ran into some, some r- real life challenges that, We can certainly talk about, but it really then shaped the business exec and leader that I wanted to be after experiencing tragedy. Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, then we we will certainly touch on that. So why accounting? Why did did dad uh, feel accounting was so important? And what happened after six weeks that all of a sudden you were able to go to bed without tears and all of a sudden (laughs) Miami became home? So my dad looked at it, that accounting, he said, Johnny, I never want you to have to rely on our accountants to understand our books. And I had a family business in the RV industry, in the recreational vehicle industry, and my dad was a pioneer in the industry. And so he said, you know, I want you to always understand this and understand all sides of it. So that was really important to him. And I thought my dad was so incredibly wise. I was on board with that, um, agreed with it and said, I'll follow those, that path. And I think, um, something after six weeks, my parents said that I wasn't allowed to come home until Thanksgiving, uh, because (laughs) they were, they were, they were tough loving me. And I think, um, you know, I started making, making friends and realizing that, you know, there is life outside of my close Italian family and, um, I, I'm going to embrace it. And then, you know, really, uh, the, the tears were completely gone by January when I pledged SAE and, and met my brothers and, and guys that had made an incredible impact in my life. And, and Greek life for me at Miami, I think, really brought me out of my shell and taught me how to lead. And mm. I became treasurer as a sophomore 
Um, and our house corporation had quit back then. And I got all the records mailed to my home, um, the summer after my freshman year. And I collected about 350 grand of dues at my house, um, <laughs> in, in North Canton, Ohio, and, you know, returned to school as a sophomore executive officer, treasurer, and, you know, was ready to dig into Greek life. And then I became president and enjoyed a year doing that. And, and SAE really taught me, really reinforced for me. Um, our motto is the true gentleman. Um, and I saw other guys living it in ways even better than I could imagine. And I wanted to emulate that. And I think it was the beginning of me realizing that I don't know what I don't know. And I'm going to soak up the people that God's put around me. And I'm going to... Um, you know, really in, invent myself to the best version of really all the qualities and, and values that I see from others. And uh, my fraternity brothers certainly gave me that, and I owe a lot to them. Well, it's interesting because in, in many of the conversations I have, when I ask why Miami or what Miami gives you, many point to it, it gives you the opportunity, Oxford gives you the opportunity to succeed, it's up to an individual then uh, to take advantage of it. And it seems that many, you included and, and all I've spoken to, have the DNA in them to want to take advantage of that opportunity. And the Greek life uh, example is point on two. It's, that's something that is just is presented to you. Uh, you don't have to take it, but then when you do, as you share it, it, it leads to maybe some financial management skills from the treasury or treasurer department to also the leadership and friendships that are lifelong or lifeland. Yeah. Exactly. You find yourself, you know, running chapter meetings on Sunday nights in coat and tie after a formal dinner and using Robert's rules of order to conduct the meeting and have a gavel in your hand. And, you know, as I became board chair of various boards over the years, I really knew how to run those meetings because I was president of SAE. Hmm. And so you, you owe a lot back to those days that I had no idea that I was really in a class as I was actively participating in the fraternity and experiencing what leadership and, and brotherhoods about that would really uh, create the type of leader that I wanted to be. Hmm. And then as you, as you worked your way through the next couple of years in Oxford, was it always a plan to go into the family business? And were you preparing for that in the classes you were taking? Or were you open and was the family open for you to do what you wanted to do if something else once school ended? Well, funny you should ask that because, you know, with, with an Italian Catholic family, um, yeah, I, I think I had my opportunity to do what I wanted to do, but I really knew that I would go back to the family business yeah. and, and be with my dad and, and, and have that honor. Although it, it necessarily wasn't my passion, um, but it was important to me um, it, it, to be there for, for my family and, and to work with you know people that I loved. And so I, I was granted um, some freedom after college. I had uh, about a year and a half in Chicago, and then I was um, uh, the phone rang and it was my dad telling me that it was time to move home. And, and so I did that and, and things worked out, you know, really, really well from there. But, you know, I saw my time at Miami as, you know, my exploration time. And I remember thinking how cool it was that my friends could 
really decide anything that they want to do. And mine was kind of set for me and I had a little window of time. And so I worked at Ernst and Winnie, um, back then it was Ernst and Winnie. I interned there, you know, I got offers from all the big eight accounting firms and a number of banks and in, in retail as well. And I took it so seriously, the career planning and placement office. And I was, you know, all about that, had my job locked up my senior year. I thought I was really on top of it. And in uh, April of our senior year, a month before graduation, uh, I meet my would-be wife and uh, my wife, Susan, and we've been together over 30 years now. And, um, you know, I say to Susan right away, you know, thinking about graduation, you know, what job do you have lined up? And she says, oh, I don't have anything lined up yet. And I said, well, you've been doing interviews at the CPPO, right? She said, no, I haven't done that. And I thought, (laughs) man, how's this going to work with this girl? And, you know, we uh, fall in love. And, you know, a month after college, she gets a great job with Merck Sharp and Dome. And she's making about 35% more than me. Company car, better benefits. I'm moving to Chicago, living on a shoestring. And, and uh, you know, my soon-to-be wife was just killing it. And, you know, so she taught me already that it didn't always have to be the structure that I required it to be. And it kind of helped me in, in life as, as she and I um, you know, went through some fertility challenges. And, and so it's really, um, you know, I look back at Miami and think about the brotherhood. I think about the business background and, and then the love of my life uh, comes from there as well. So, you know, I grabbed a diploma and a fiance and I got out of Oxford. That's great. I love that. Well, and, and my wife, uh, 20 plus years, I guess almost 30 together, uh, 20 plus of marriage, same, same smart too. started off making more money and, and had it figured out exactly where I was already on a certain path that wasn't necessarily to be. So, so dad calls and says, we're come home from Chicago. It's it's time to come back into the family business. And are you guys, are you married yet? Are you still dating? And w- what's the next path look like there? You know, Susan and I were, were these young, responsible people that, you know, we, we met in April. Um, I was moving in July to Chicago. She was open to move anywhere in the country with her job. And Merck assigned her a territory in Akron, Ohio, where she was from. So I'm from Canton, Ohio. Uh, we're from literally, you know, 25 minutes apart, but didn't meet till the last month of, of college. And, um, we made the decision that, you know, at 21 years old, um, doing the long distance thing back then without cell phones, we had a a really kind and and gentle, agreeable breakup, uh, that, you know, let's just not try to do long distance. We wrote some letters over that year and a half. Um, and then when my dad brought me home, of course, Susan was the first person I called and um, we were engaged in a few months and um, at 23 years old and, and married by the time we were 24. And, and so we're, you know, hitting 30 years of marriage uh, here pretty soon. So, you know, it, it was really perfect how it all worked out um, and perfect that her job, she wanted to go anywhere in the country and she's sitting there in Akron, Ohio when I come back and uh, we were able to pick up right where we left off. Of course, I took her back to Miami um, for an engagement um, in the formal garden. So that was pretty cool to do that. And it was a really nerve-wracking drive down there because Susan and I had never even talked about getting married. We never talked about seriously about a future together. 
Um, we had only been dating for a few months again, um, since I had moved back home. And, um, I thought, you know, this could be a really uncomfortable five hour drive home. She (laughs) says no, Uh, but, uh, God was good to me. And she said, yes. And, um, it's been great ever since. And when you started working for the business, how, give me a ballpark of how many employees at the business. So we were a, a small family business, probably, at the time there were, you know, 40, 45 employees. Um, you know, I grew it over the 15 years that I ran it. Um, we probably had about 80 employees when I sold the family business. And, um, my dad unfortunately got sick with cancer when I was 28. Um, so I was completely on my own at that point. Um, I was blessed that I had, um, an aunt, um, a couple of uncles working for me, my older sister, my older cousin, um, another cousin. I mean, so there was family there. Um, I was, you know, pretty much in charge by the time I was 25, but then at, at 28, um, it was me running the show. And, and I was blessed that my dad literally took the approach of, you know, Johnny, this is your time now. So, you know, he didn't resist me making changes and, um, let me come in and do what, um, I felt was right for the business and for our growth. And, um, you know, we had a great run for a number of years with just, you know, ridiculous sales growth. We were named the top dealer in the country out of like 3000 dealers. And when I was 36 years old, um, Camping World uh, decided to do a roll up just like Auto Nation had done with going out and buying dealerships. And I was one of the, the early targets and um, uh, the funder behind it and owner of Camping World, uh, Steve Adams, an amazing man. And Marcus Limonis approached me, um, the CEO of the company, and I sold my business at 36 and joined the executive team there and was able to experience large business um, and worked there for almost 15 years. And, uh, we had our IPO on my 50th birthday, um, which was a little ironic. And, um, I was able to, you know, experience corporate America, 10,000 employees. We grew the company to 4 billion in sales and, and really, you know, was able to enjoy, um, high level executive leadership and a large corporate culture with people that I loved and cared about. And retiring from there was probably, um, the hardest thing I've ever done and, and the most selfish thing I've ever done. Hmm. Um, but I just felt it was time for new things. Hmm. All right. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to come back to that selfish comment in a second, but we quickly went over Marcus's name for listening audience here. I, you see him every night on CNBC on the profit and the other three or four shows he's doing one with Alex Rodriguez and some others too. Um, but go back. I'm going to go back one second. Um, when you were 25, and you're now in the family business of 40-ish people, um, but you're, you're still a young kid coming into a family business. I'm curious what it's like. How do you get respect from and earn trust of employees that are not family members as a family member comes into a business? Does that make sense? Absolutely. It's it's a hard thing to do. And I do a lot of public speaking and I love speaking at the college level and and really trying to make an impact on on young people. But, you know, it was uh, kind of the the good old fashioned, you know, working bell to bell. I was there six days a week. 
got there first thing in the morning, wanted to be one of the last ones to leave. But I was given respect, uh, probably because of the way that people respected my dad, um, far before I earned it, Mm. but I never wanted to be the boss's son. Um, I wanted to, if there was toilets that needed cleaned, I'm, I'm, I'm there doing that. I'm doing whatever I can to, to lead by example and, and really immerse myself in the work and learn from people that as a kid growing up working in the business were my bosses. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I had to make that transition, but, you know, I look back and I'm sure, and I know I made a ton of mistakes, um, you know, humility is something that we all need to continue to work on and learn. You know, you're thrust in a position with authority um, to people that know more about an industry than I did. Um, and you do your best through it. But I, I tried to be humble as I look back. I think I could have done even a far better job at that. And I really didn't learn um, how I needed to lead until, as I mentioned, you know, earlier when you know, my wife and I kind of had this charm life going and, um, you know, she was killing it in business and she got to six figures before I did. And, you know, we were saving everything that she made and living off of what I made. And, um, you know, we were ready to start our family, uh, by the time we were 25 and, you know, that wasn't the plan. And we ran into infertility and, um, after, uh, three and a half years, uh, we did get pregnant with triplets, um, had a, a good pregnancy. Um, but unfortunately Nicholas, Mary and Peter were born premature and and they all passed away. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until that time that I think I really understood how to lead because we were at such a dark place. We were at a, a spot after the funeral of figuring out what do we do where, I define success as family. The business pieces were important and those were going great for me and for Susan, but that wasn't the end all for me. And, and being a dad was, Mm. and, and being a good husband was, and my wife was in so much pain. And so, you know, going to a cemetery every day before, after work, um, to just to lay down on the ground and, and feel close to your kids, um, really has a way of recentering your life and focus that you need to do more than what you're doing. And so from that, I, I took a philosophy that I created because I realized when I got back to work, the challenges that we were having at work that always appeared like challenges before Nicholas, Mary and Peter died really weren't challenges. There were some work issues and there was work tensions and there was you know, tension between employees and all things that I allowed under my watch. And when we were just focusing on the customer and, and trying to do the best job um, as we could, but the humanity was missing. And so I put together a program that I, I created and called Forward Focus. And I told all the employees, brought them together that um, I'm going to introduce a new program uh, to the company over the next year. We'll do weekly meetings um, twice a month in our newsletters. I'll have articles. We'll have training sessions. Um, but we're going to work in the forward side. And that's what I like about myself, what my strengths are, what my successes are, where solutions are. And the backward thinking is going to be where problems are and my insecurities and me blaming somebody else and my lack of confidence. 
and we're going to work in a forward movement. And at the end of this year, everyone's job is going to be up for reassignment and everyone's going to have to really apply for their jobs again. And I said to the team, you know, I'm not saying guys that I'm right. I'm just saying that this is way the way that I need to run this business. And if you're going to agree to work at Serpilla RV, you're going to imagine stepping up steps and, and kind of walking into a higher um, corporate culture of mutual love and respect for each other. And if not, that's okay. You go do your own thing. And at the end of that year, um, there were two people that were critical to our team that I did uh, not rehire. And um, it really showed everybody that we are going to work differently. And I think it really changed our business. And it certainly changed for me what it meant to be a leader, because then I understood so much better that, you know, employees, when they go home, they need to go home and, and leave a work culture that they can be the best mother, father, sister, brother, grandmother, grandfather, whatever their real role is after work hours, I need to send them home to be their best. And if I participate and allow a culture where people can feel beaten down, then when they go home and there's family tensions, I have blood on my hands and I can't, I can't accept that. And so it really, you know, created um, a lot of gifts in our company where the employees rose up and accepted the challenge. And I'd hear from letters from spouses saying, I don't know what's changed at work, but my husband's coming home different. My wife is, there's a joy back in her. And it was literally insisting on a culture of kindness. And, you know, this was back in 1995 and it made an imprint on me of the responsibility it is to be a leader. Hmm. And in 2019, companies are still trying to figure that out. I hear Mark Benioff at Salesforce all the time talking about uh, we have a responsibility, a moral responsibility to not just our shareholders, but to our stakeholders, our employees, our, our families, our friends, our, our partners, our clients, our vendors. So uh, you know, you're doing that in 1995. In 2019, some of the biggest companies in the world are, are still scratching their head to figure out how to make, how to make that right. Well, David, to me, it, it just seemed logical that how could I expect my team to go out and offer really the best customer experience possible. And, you know, the work that we were doing, it wasn't, it wasn't brain surgery, but we were dealing with families leisure time and their vacation time. And so they work so hard and they get two weeks a year off and they're going to take their RV out. And my team was responsible to ensure that that was a pleasurable experience, all their hopes and dreams and all these great things that are going to happen on this family vacation um, we took that responsibility seriously, but I also recognize that if they're not feeling good about themselves and valued in our company, how are they going to go out there and give genuine customer service and really, really care? Mm. And, and, and that was the difference maker for me that it needed to be authentic. You couldn't be beating people up in meetings and have a leadership team that was uh, harsh to each other and harsh to their team members and then expect you know, our, our, my employees weren't actors. They couldn't turn it on in front of a customer. And while we think as leaders sometimes that we have to say these business things, and of course there's things that we have to say, but there's the right way to say it. I always tell my teams that there is no tough topic out there. We can talk about truly anything as long as it's done with respect and integrity and honesty. And they could be some really tough conversations, 
but handled beautifully that nobody has to walk away feeling like a good guy and a bad guy. But we just talked about something tough and, and, and maybe you hug it out at the end. But, you know, it's it's critical to our teams. And I, that's what I love in public speaking is being able to talk about this, that, you know, we if we want our employees to shine and do their best, we've got to give them our best. And it's our job as leaders every day to come to work to help them succeed. It, it's not about glorifying our own careers, especially as I moved up um, the corporate ladder. You know, it was my job to make those around me successful. And if I could not do that, then I wasn't leading them properly. Mm. And you used the word selfish when you retired after the IPO. Why? You know, uh, because the people at Camping World were amazing people. It, it, it was a great experience. I'm not saying it wasn't tough at times. I'm not saying that we didn't endure challenges that, that many companies do. But I felt that for me, turning 50, um, the three kids that we were blessed with, um, in, in less than four years, um, we had three kids. Uh, one of them we adopted. So um, on my website at encourage33.com, I have Encourage Adoption. That's one of my brands and uh, love what adoption can do um, for the baby and for the family and, and how our son changed our lives and brought brightness and light in a very dark time. And then we had two surprise pregnancies and um, that were not easy on my wife. She was in bed for five months with our daughter, but, um, and then home, you know, homebound again, uh, 10 months later when she was pregnant again. And, 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 you know, I, I say it was selfish because I wanted to really fully commit to my family again. I had, you know, a lot of travel in those 15 years, um, with camping world. I had a lot of responsibility. That was a blessing. Um, I got to the chance to work alongside great execs and, and operate at the, you know, highest possible level in the company. And, but it, it takes a toll on your family. And, and for Bo, Bella, and Stone, our three kids that we're raising, um, you know, I, I made it a priority to be at every sporting event and, and to be communicating as much with them as possible. But I probably felt such, and I know I say the selfish thing, such guilt that it inspired me uh, when, you know, Bo was born, I started a love letter to him. And then when Bella and Stone were born, I did the same thing. And it was a gift on their 18th birthday. Each of them is bound in a hardback book that's probably 250 pages typed, um, single spaced. And I, I think part of that was, you know, when you're working that hard as a dad and you work so hard to become a dad, but then you work um, so hard to provide a good life for your family, um, you know, I'm, I'm focusing on me a lot and that felt selfish, even though my intentions were pure, but then when it came time after IPO to step back and assess, you know, what is enough and, you know, is, is my time serving here complete? And I just felt that it was. And so at 50, I decided to completely reinvent myself and the work that I do today, um, is, you know, I'm back to the point of not knowing what I don't know again and, and, and learning new industries and, and, and things in the medical space that have always been interesting to me. You know, I'm in there in meetings with doctors and, and partners of mine today that I'm, I'm learning so much from, um, 
you know, Larry Dust, an executive at um, his company, Key Benefit Administrators. His son, Dr. Scott Dust, is a professor there in the Miami Business School. And the blessing to work with Larry and partner with him in population health management and going out and, and really making a difference in the lives of workers today, you know, that gets me really excited to think about not producing a product and working on a product and making sure that we can provide enjoyment as we did um, in the RV industry, but literally talking about getting people healthy. And so again, in, in my fifties now, um, you know, I'm 53 today, you know, I'm, I've got a lot to learn about all that I'm doing still. And I'm a, I'm a believer in seasons of life. And, and I think, you know, I'm in a new season now and, and, and love that. Um, so is, so the, is, the, is the Encourage uh, business or this new season, are you uh, an investor, an, uh, an advisor, an operator? Are you finding some of these um, products or services um, that, as you, sh- as you mentioned, uh, you've always been interested in and trying to help jumpstart or scale? Or what's the, what are you actually doing with each of them? So I am um, a self-funded small private equity firm. So what I do is I invest in companies that I believe in and I believe that can make a difference. And and that's, that's my um, mission at Encourage is, is to invest in those companies that can make a difference. And so I have four different brands of Encourage, Um, Encourage Healthy Living, which is all my medical based products in, in that group, Encourage Leadership. Um, which is board work that I do I'm on my public company board, uh, LCI, which ironically, uh, the CEO, Jason Lippert, um, is a Miami grad. SAE 94. Yes, he is. Jason and I spent a lot of time in college together. uh, Very cool. And Jason is, uh, um, you know, somebody that's really important in my life and, and he and I met through the RV industry and, um, you know, in our opening discussion, uh, you know, we set up, you know, back and forth of you married kids, where'd you go to college? And, you know, we, Hey, I went to Miami also. Were you in a fraternity? Yeah, I was an SAE. Me too. Were you president? Yeah, me too. And so, you know, we really formed a great connection. Now I serve and it's an honor to serve on the board of LCI and, um, and so that's in my encouraged leadership brand. I'm on the board of the Pro Football Hall of Fame and Altman Health Foundation and um, uh, chairman of the board of our Catholic schools in our county. And so that's the leadership side and do public speaking under encouraged leadership. Uh, then there's Encourage Investments, uh, which is just a variety of different investments that um, are outside of the necessarily the medical space. Um, and, uh, a lot of it with, um, two, uh, fraternity brothers, uh, Mark Bushala and Luke Bolin. Uh, so have, uh, some fun working with fraternity brothers again in that space. And then of course there's encourage adoption, uh, which I do, you know, any chance I get to be in front of pregnancy support centers or other organizations to talk about the power of changing your own life and, and that of a baby, um, through adoption. So that's really where I, I spend my day you know, each day and in the encourage, um, healthy living space, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm partners in a company that is doing the first and only medical trial in the world on concussion therapy. Hmm. So, you know, you talk about a learning curve, David, I mean, I come out of the RV space and then I find myself on the board of this company and investing in a company that, um, 
you know, we're really working on uh, making a difference for people with traumatic brain injuries. And, and it's, it's fascinating. So, you know, it, it's fun to, and, and almost necessary, I think, as we age to keep reinventing ourselves um, and, and find this new season. So that's what Encourage is about. And so as you embark in this new season with some unbelievable pillars that you just said, what do you say to the 22-year-olds, 21-year-olds in Oxford, maybe even elsewhere, that are about to head into their new season? You know, that's awesome that you asked that question because um, in front of a, a, about 400 students once in a talk, um, one of the students um, asked me a question um, that actually became the premise of the book that I'm writing. And he said, what do you wish you knew when you were sitting in our seat? And um, the answer came quickly to me. And I said to him, I wish that I knew that life was going to be hard, but I'm going to be okay. And all of us, you know, we, we leave Oxford, we leave whatever university that we attend and, you know, the, the glorious days on high street and walking across the campus and just the beauty and the blessing that it is to go to school at Miami university. But we leave there and, and I had the, the false sense of security that it was just going to skyrocket from there. And, and while professionally that happened, personally, life was hard. And, um, you know, in our forties, you know, my wife ended up in one of the products I um, partner with, uh, Dr. Caroline Peterson out of Dayton is doing phenomenal work in, um, cancer assessment programs and cancers hit our family very hard. Um, my wife had a double mastectomy, um, when we were 44, um, you know, we had a son that uh, was in the cancer floor when he was four, um, turned out to be another crazy disease called ITP. Um, but life got hard. Um, and we're okay through it. Um, holding on to faith, holding on to a strong marriage. Um, you know, so I wish I really, really would have known that it isn't just going to be, you know, one success after the, the next. And especially, you know, a lot of kids that go to Miami, you know, have come from, you know, good, stable homes. And I've learned so much from the people that didn't come from stable homes. And I've partnered beside them. I've been on boards with them. And I think, my goodness, look what they accomplished. And, you know, there's more that I need to do and give back because when I, I get so inspired by those people. But I think that's what I would tell them is that um, life is going to be hard. And I don't say that in a way to create fear or discouragement, um, but let literally to be prepared that you need to have resources and real relationships in your life of people that you can connect with our, our faith group that are our nine closest uh, couples. Um, you know, they literally carried us through those times. Um, my family, uh, my, my sisters, my parents, I mean, my wife's parents, it was amazing what they did for us. And you need to have that community around you. So life's going to be hard, but you're going to be okay. And like I said, it inspired me uh, to write a book uh, with a partner of mine in public speaking, uh, Dr. Barbara Fordyce. And she's a psychologist that uh, really saved my wife and me. Wow. What a powerful conversation. Cheers to you, Johnny, for paying it forward and encouraging others in appreciation to those who have encouraged you. See you at Alt Skippers real soon. I'll be back on campus tomorrow. Look for me at Skippers. See ya. See ya.